The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear from two executives who are selling sweets and spirits against a backdrop of rising inflation, high gas prices, and stagnant wages. Anton Vincent, president of Mars Wrigley North America, whose brands include M&M, Snickers, and Skittles, and Jessica Spence, president of Beam Suntory Brands, which owns Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, and Courvoisier. Spence and Vincent spoke with my colleague Brian Sullivan at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on July 13, 2022, about keeping up with supply chain shortages, dealing with inflation, and introducing their legacy brands to a new generation of consumers. Here's their conversation. How could we not have a good time on this panel about transforming the consumer? The world has transformed the last couple of years, and you guys are transforming as well. So thank you very much for joining us. Jessica, I'm going to begin with you. Obviously, the world has changed the way that we drink. For a couple of years, in many spots, you could not go out. That one-on-one with the bartender simply did not exist. We started drinking premium cocktails at home. How has Beam Suntory evolved? How will it continue to evolve? Yeah, it's been um, an incredible couple of years in our industry. And I don't think at the beginning of the pandemic, anyone could have really predicted how that would have played out. Um, But what we saw was people um, definitely up trading. Um, I think, you know, all of a sudden when you couldn't go out to your favorite restaurant or maybe the holidays were out of bounds, um, spending that little more on a beautiful bottle of whiskey or tequila became a lot of um, a, a bigger treat that people felt they could reach out to and afford. So we saw premiumization coming through. We also saw the emergence of um, a much stronger pull from e-commerce, which particularly in the U.S. has been actually relatively underdeveloped historically for alcohol. Um, and we really saw e-commerce penetration growing dramatically. So we've invested very heavily behind that. Um, and of course, we also saw um, a big rise in convenience. Um, you know, there were a lot of people who were experimenting and had the time to have fun with cocktails. There was a lot of people who realized they were not the greatest bartender in the world and wanted something delivered brilliantly for them. Um, so as well, our push behind ready to drink and the ready to serve options that we make available to consumers for when you want that cocktail, but maybe you don't want to do all the hard work. That was another really big area of focus. What you're saying, shorter Jessica Spence, we can't all be the world's greatest mixologist. And so Beam <laughs> Suntory is willing to do that. How much How much are we willing to pay for convenience, Jessica? Um, I mean, what we're seeing is um, across all alcohol ranges, incredibly strong results behind um, our ready-to-serve options. And, and that's not just us. I think our competitors are seeing all the things. It's an incredibly vibrant part. So um, obviously we have an incredible brand. If you haven't tried it, I'll do a brief plug called On The Rocks. And the promise behind that really was bartender cocktails, bartender quality, but none of the work effectively. Um, And that's been one of our fastest growing um, over the last few years. So I think that's definitely something that's going to continue. And the innovation in that space um, is going to continue to grow. It's a cluttered category already, but I think there's still space um, really to push into the more premium end. Historically, ready to drink has been more of a, a standard 
mainstream kind of area, that's really changing. Consumers are asking for different things. They're asking for a different level of quality. They're asking for real stories behind it, um, which is different. So I think that's an area that we're going to continue to see a lot of innovation in, and, and we're definitely going to be bringing a lot of um, exciting things to market over the next year. I'm more of a wine guy. I'm willing to try it. If only I knew where to get some, Jessica. Anyway, Anton, first off, I understand you're a big CNBC and Worldwide Exchange viewer, so I got to say thank you. And thank you're the one. By the way, I'm kidding. And thank you for getting up so early and tuning into the program or whatever you do. Uh, is there a premiumization in snacks and candy? How are we changing the way we treat ourselves, pun intended. Yeah, well, well thanks, Brian. And I am a big fan, by the way, so that, that's, that's good intel. Look, first thing I would say is that, uh, look, premiumization exists in a lot of food categories, and so it certainly represents itself in confection, uh, in all parts of our confection as well. I think, you know, one of the biggest trends around the world is gifting. And uh, when you're giving a gift, uh, you know, you want to give the best possible gift, and you want to convey emotion and, and the things you want to convey to that, that loved one or someone who has achieved a certain event as well. So there is premiumization. If you sort of look in terms of how our pricing strata works and, and, and came into a category either online or in a physical store, you'll see a good representation of price points as well. Some of those price points are driven by, by the types of confection, meaning types of chocolate, and some of those price points are driven by the price packs uh, or the packs that we give as well. And I think one of, the, one of the actual trends we actually saw during the pandemic was people were buying bigger packs because they were staying at home, they were consuming entertainment, and so that's very consistent in terms of what they want to do. So, yes, you see premiumization all around the category for different reasons. How has that changed over the course of the pandemic? I mean, we stayed home. Uh, we, we wanted to, again, treat ourselves, right? You know, have a couple cocktails, have some yeah. candy, because we, we really couldn't do a lot else in many parts of the United States. How much of that was just sort of temporary because of the pandemic? Have, have things kind of gone, and I hate the term normal, but have things kind of gone back yeah. that way or permanently evolved? Yeah, we haven't seen that. You know, right, right, when, the, right when COVID uh, sort of hit, you know, we saw a big dip sort of in our first period. And then, you know, most of the confection sort of snapped right back. And again, I think it's driven by some of those underlying trends. When you have people that don't have access to mobility, uh, they stay home a lot. And when they stay home a lot, their consumption patterns change, both consuming media, consuming entertainment. And then obviously the company for that is typically some type of confection uh, and a beverage as well. And so we saw that trend uh, in COVID. As we sort of get beyond COVID as well, we're actually seeing a lot of those trends uh, stick because while you're at home, you consume a certain way, but now that you actually have mobility, you can actually get back to a normal. So we have big strength in our convenience store channels. Uh, we continue to see big strength in our e-commerce channels. I think everybody's sort of seeing that, that as well. Um, and people are starting to understand mm. what does that mean. I would say there, there is an emotional element to that as well. Uh, people, I think, really got back in touch with treating themselves and having a more balanced understanding around what that means in very small, inexpensive ways in case of our categories as well. And so I think people are really trying to understand how do they assess their value in life and, and how does that translate to a food value, in this case, a snacking value as well. And so we've seen great strength. We've had very strong category growth, you know, double digits uh, for the entire category as well. And I would say we're representative of that in most of our categories as well. So we've seen that strength and we've seen it stick post-pandemic. Post well, you know, to do all this, Jessica, there's got to be one key component. We've got to be able to buy it, which means it's got to be at the bar, at the hotel, at the store shelf, wherever it might be. Are supply chain issues, are they getting any easier 
now? Um, I, mean, I think everyone, um, if you, you talk to anyone in business over the last year, it's probably been the number one thing that most of us have spent our time uh, worrying about is, um, you know, I think, as Anton said, the demand has been very strong. Um, we've also seen that continuing as we come out of the pandemic. I think some of the habits people built up in home have stayed. And at the same time, for us, the on-trade, the bars and the restaurants have really come back. So that that really gave us a, a huge um, you know, demand that would have been challenging even in a normal world, I think. Um, but you know, the supply chain challenges that we've all faced um, have really made that um, a, a kind of top priority across the whole business. I mean, I think we've been able to be fairly agile um, on the supply chain. We we made a lot of decisions very quickly. We were able to pivot very quickly, understand where demand was. Um, and, you know, we've also been investing now more than I think we would have historically in some slightly more sort of redundant supply chain capabilities or sourcing from other countries. So looking at having flex in the system, because I think whilst the volatility is definitely coming down, I don't think we're out mm. of the woods yet. So we're really putting in place we're the kind of is to, to make sure we can manage through it, recognizing we think that we're probably, fingers crossed, through the worst. Jessica, because your products, many of them, especially whiskey and scotch, and as I understand it, scotch may or may not have something to do with Scotland. So there's, there's only limited places you're going to be able to source certain things. How much flexibility do you have with your supply chain, given your kind of unique product mix? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the biggest uh, challenges when you first get into the spirits industry is from a liquid perspective, your supply is given. So um, people can tell me they want more scotch unless it went into barrels 12 plus years ago. I can't do much about that. Um, so that from a liquid perspective, we always are used to operating within a constraint. That's our everyday. And that, that means we have to have a very long term horizon, very long term horizon on brand building, on investments, because even on our shortest products in the aged categories, it's four to five years in the barrel before we can sell anything. So that was always fixed. The areas really that have been challenging for us are more around dry goods, around glass. Um, glass has been, I think, challenging for many people. Um, so those are the areas where we're building in additional um, optionality for us. As you say, on the liquid, we have what we have, um, which is beautiful, but it's a, it's a constraint that we're used to living with. And you've got different challenges, Anton. I mean, someday I hope to visit a giant Skittle farm. I'm not sure you where you grow them, but I'm sure it's incredibly beautiful. <laughs> but I do know this as somebody who, 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 <laughs> who track, it's been a long day. OK, sorry. Somebody who tracks the commodity <laughs> markets very closely. I look at things like cocoa and I look at things like sugar. And I know they've come down a little in the last couple of days and weeks, but who cares? These prices have soared. How have you guys had to change the way you approach just sourcing your raw ingredients? Yeah, I think we've had to approach that a couple of ways. First of all, you know, we, we, we do a lot of business with origin countries. And so, you know, we, we have a very good understanding around what those supply chains look like. Uh, you know, we're the second largest purchaser of cocoa in the world. And so that is core to what we do. Our, our sourcing teams have done Wow. A fantastic jobs in making sure we're working with our with our with our supply chains all around the world. So the first thing is to have knowledge, to have foresight, to have insight uh, on on your markets. That's that's number one. Uh, I think number two is just making sure that uh, you know we always want to try to uh, uh, sort of drive our productivity engine you know through all types of cycles, and so that's a constant exercise for us. We call that value leadership. Uh, and making sure we understand what those markets look like. Sometimes, you know, back to what Jessica talked about, sometimes there are unique ingredients that we can only source in certain places in the world. And so we try to have uh, unique relationships with our suppliers. But in our case, you know, some of them sort of got into some, 
you know, sideways a little bit. We were able to sort of help them out and sort of get them through a tough period as well. And so that builds loyalty, that, that builds, uh, you know, consistency in our supply chain as well. So we were able to manage in some of those areas. But I would say, you know, consistency around insight, consistency around markets, you know, and just making sure that our forecasting tools and our sourcing tools are really tuned to what's going on, regardless of market type. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. We've talked about the last couple of years. Let's talk about the next couple of years, Anton, because you may or may not have heard on CNBC there's some concern about the American economy. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, are snacks, candy, gum, is that recession-proof? How do you forecast and adjust? I, I live with a 25-year consumer products executive, my wife, and, and we talk about yeah. this at the dinner table <laughs> And it's a it's a yeah. confusing time right now. It, it, it is a confusing time. And again, I'll go back to what I said a little bit earlier. You know, at, at, at what we offer and sort of where that fits in a person's food value and their consumption uh, sort of cycle. You know, we feel like that uh, we that we can really land through a, a lot of cycles. You know, you know, at, at an average check of a buck or a buck fifty or two, depending on the pack type. You're not putting a lot of investment out there, but but the value you get for that investment is actually significant uh, for us. You know, I think one of the things we have to do, and you, you talked about some of the economic numbers that came out today, you know, 9.1% inflation, is that's pretty tough. I think that was a higher number than we were expecting. You know, the food part of that is about 1%, uh, you know, from, from a month-to-month perspective. And so what we're trying to do is to make sure that we're addressing our costs and our productivity first. And to the extent that we need to price, you know, we'll, 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 we'll price in a way that makes sense, that is reasonable and that is transparent, you know, with our customers as well. So as long as we are actually, uh, you know, providing a real need to our consumers and making sure that we continue to invest in our brands, invest in innovation uh, and making sure that value exchange is clear uh, and that we're engaging with our consumers, we feel like we can continue to have very solid growth rates over time. Jessica, what are you guys seeing going forward? And is your industry kind of almost counter? cyclical in a way times are tough you make maybe you want to have an adult beverage now and again you know what i mean <laughs> um, i mean the spirits industry has proved remarkably resilient as you say um through recessions and through pandemics which we didn't didn't necessarily expect um so i think you know if we look at the the learnings from the past there's definitely a lot of confidence um in the industry and in, in how we should be able to weather this but i think what's important is that you're really making sure you're giving consumers options at the full range. And that's one of the strengths in our portfolio um, is really making sure that as people make those trade-offs and they think that bit more carefully as they inevitably will with consumer confidence where it is right now about exactly how much they want to be spending and what they want to be spending it on, you need to be able to meet them where they're at. And you need to have propositions that are relevant. You need to have great innovations. Things Anton said, it's critical that you continue to invest in brands through this. I think the biggest mistake and the reason perhaps some industries suffer more is when they really pull back. But our view is there should be growth throughout um, the price ladder. We need to be sensitive on pricing. We need to continue brand investment. We need to continue innovation. 
Um, and I think if we hold to that, we do feel that we're we're in a pretty robust place to, to weather um, what is likely to be coming in the second half of this year and probably the first half of 2023. All right. So we're, we're going to start to wrap it up. I'm going to go back to you, Jessica. So and I want to leave our audience with some advice. You two obviously are incredibly successful, worked your way up the chain. You're at the top now in what you do. So, Jessica, given what you do, uh, give our audience right now and Evolve some of not work career tip, a personal advice, how you manage to do what you have done. I'm going to ask the same thing to Anton as well. Everybody kind of wants to know. They look at the pyramid. They say, you guys are at the top. Is there one thing you can point to and say, that was the seminal moment in my career? Um, oh, God, that one's not a fair one because Anton gets time to think about it. Um, <laughs> so I think the seminal moment and the biggest Who said anything me- about fair? Life isn't <laughs> fair, Jessica. Not fair. Work's not fair. <laughs> um, my one piece of advice would be, when an opportunity presents itself to you, jump, go for it. You may have some questions in the back of your head. You may have a million very, very sensible and very good reasons to think, oh, but I think look at everything through the lens of what am I going to learn? What am I going to gain from this experience? Does it open doors to me that aren't open today? And if you feel yes, go for it. Maybe uncomfortable, may put you out of your comfort zone, but I think that's the most incredibly healthy thing that actually you, you can do. Um, and that's definitely something that I've been uh, lucky. Some people say foolhardy, but um, it's it's paid off for me. It, what has. And, you know, and listen, and not, not, Anton, uh, I mean, they call me brain, so I'll inject myself here for a second, which is people always ask me, hey, I want to get into TV. How'd you do it? I said yes to everything. I mean, I, I, I was a commodities trader. Mm-hmm. I left that. I, I worked midnight to 9 a.m. for two years. Can you do this? Yes. Can you do that? Yeah. Can you do this? Yes. I mean, it, and that was it. And then things sort of fell into place. I'm also just naturally talented and attractive. Uh, that aside, uh, is there one thing that you can point to in time that you say that was the moment? Is there a power of yes? Yeah, you know, I, I think, well, first of all, I agree with everything that Jessica said. I think I would just add two things. First of all, and, and I know I was, I, I, I had to work through this, and I think early in my career, is listen to your feedback. You know, when people give you feedback, they really are trying to help you be great. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that. So I would say learn how to listen and learn how to apply. I would say the second thing is, uh, and I I talk to a lot of kids about this all the time, figure out what makes you special, what makes you great, and then bring that to work every day. I think that's very, very important. Sometimes we don't learn that until much later in life. Uh, But I try to stress with kids and teenagers in particular is like, figure out what makes you special, what makes you unique, and and then apply that. I think that's very, very, very important because uh, no one can do it like you do it. And I think if you bring that to a marketplace, I think it's going to have value over time. That was Beam Suntory Brands President Jessica Spence and Mars Wrigley North America President Anton Vincent. They spoke with Brian Sullivan at CNBC's Evolve Global Summit on July 13, 2022. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your friends. And you can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can attend. We'd love to have you there. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks so much for listening.
Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. 